Okay, there we go. What are you waiting for? Do it! I found a record called Teach Your Bird to Talk. And I thought, well, that's got to be worth the 56 cents. And I didn't have a, you know, a cent, so I paid 55 for it. Vince is on the phone. How are you? Oh, good, Phil. What kind of bird is it? I mean, it's an African grey. An African grey. All right. How long yeah. you had it for? Oh, about six months. Do they talk? Uh, well, supposed to. That's what I was told when I bought him. Right, okay. His name's Tony, by the way. Tony, okay. What have you been saying to him? Uh, how you going? Hey, little fella. Who's a pretty boy? Have you tried uh, just hello? Oh, yeah, every day. Okay, all right. All right. Well, I'll play the record and let's see what happens. Can Tony hear the radio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I'll turn it up. All right, here we go. The purpose of this record is to remove the long and tedious task of teaching a bird to speak its first few words. The first few words are the ones which require the major effort. Hmm. After these are learned, others are learned much more quickly without the intensive effort. Right. The second side of this record then is a vocal lesson for the bird, which you can play at times most convenient to you. Did he seem like he was paying much attention to that? <laughs> Not really. Okay, well wait till I play the second side of the record. <laughs> I feel like you're a bit of a disbeliever here. I don't, I don't uh, maybe it's felt. your attitude towards the bird. Have you thought about that? Hello there. Make sure he listens Hello to this. Hello there. Hello there. How are you today? Jeez, a bit creepy, isn't it? How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Is he listening? I'm oh, fine, he's thank doing something. you. It's, well, okay. Who are you? He's, but he's a, taking notice? You? I'm fine, thank yeah, you. Uh -huh. Who are you? I'm fine, thank you. Anything? No. Try saying hello to him. Hello. Hello. <gasps> Is that him? Oh my god. Is that the bird? What? Is he saying hello? What? That is an audible noise. It sounds like hello to me. <laughs> It worked! It worked, ladies and gentlemen! What about that? Who's the bird whisperer? That's amazing. Gazza is here with Goss about, uh, Goss about Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. You like Duff, don't you? I mean, he's the smart one of Guns N' Roses. You know, he's got this accounting degree and he managed all the money for Guns N' Roses and he seems to have his uh, head screwed on, more probably more so than, um, what's his name? One Axel. That, uh, he's been waxing lyrical about the early days of Guns N' Roses. He's got a new book out called How to Be a Man and Other Illusions. Now, I read his prior book, which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. This has got an accompanying EP out with it, and I think it's just brilliant. I don't. We should be playing it on Triple M. It's okay. called How to Be a Man. I'll have a listen to that. And here's what he had to say, by the way, about this whole experience. Somebody told me something just like in the last year that resentment's like yourself taking poison and helping the other person get hurt from it. Resentment's killing you. You know, it's eating you up. And once I kind of heard that, I'm like, oh, yeah ridiculous to have this stuff inside me because it's just mine. Duff from Guns N' Roses and he's got a book out. Not as good as the new John Farnham book that's out incidentally. You need to read Duff McKagan's book. I thought you were going to say I need to read the book that you wrote about John Farnham. Well, you need to read that as well yeah. but you need to know how to be a man. I've got a blow up woman. Does that count? Competition time.
Steve, how are you, man? Not too bad, mate. Yourself? Good. Which album are you playing for? Chris Cornell. Great album. You know it's Finger the Member, don't you? Yes, I do. Oh, it's the greatest competition ever. Finger the Member. To be honest, Steve, I don't do the competition for the jingle. You've got a name which band this member is a member of, right? Yeah. Going to give you three names. You're going to get two right, and that Chris Cornell album is yours. Slash. Guns and Roses. Gunners, there's one point. It'd be great if they reunite too, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be excellent. Brian May. Brian May. Uh, Queen. Queen? You don't even need the third one. Shall I do it anyway? Why not? Don Walker. Don Walker? Yeah. Uh, Angels. No, it was Cold Chisel, but it doesn't matter. You've got yourself the Chris Cornell album. Wow, thank you very much. Sing the jingle with Excellent. me. Finger the member. Come on, Steve. Finger, Finger the, the member. member. Finger the 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 member. Oh, it's finished now. <laughs> oh. Now, as I always say, the one reason we're all here in the rubber room together is because of our love of rock. How about Roger Waters, The Wall? Did you see that? When he played that, would have been a couple of years ago now. A lot of Pink Floyd fans did. Well, Roger Waters is making the feature film of The Wall based on the live concerts. DVD, Blu-ray and digital download December 3. And also the soundtrack available from iTunes and CD and vinyl from November 20. So this is pretty exciting for me. Mr. Inappropriate, could you please do the introductions? Mother, should I run for president? Mother, should I trust the government? Mother, will they try to break my balls? Please welcome Roger Waters from Pink Floyd to the Rubber Room. I used to have this dream. Are you leaving me? That I'd murdered somebody. I will just put you on hold for two minutes and then the next person you hear will be Roger. Phil. Hello Roger, how are you? What an amazing piece of work The Wall was. And now with the soundtrack and the new feature film coming out, when you reflect on it, was it a difficult album to make? Well, you know, the, the making of the record started with, with me having a, an epiphany, as is well known, in 1977 at an Animals concert in Montreal where I got very upset with the audience and spat at somebody. And that, that was a, a bit of an eye-opener. And I thought to myself, what the f- am I doing? There's something going on here that I don't quite understand and that I need to understand. And so I drew the picture of the wall on, a, on the back of an envelope and went, that would be a good idea to express this alienation I feel from the audience physically by building a wall across the front of the stage while, while the Pink Floyds are playing and then we would be walled off and that would be the end of the show, which was a rather radical idea. But I took that home with me and then I, you know, I sat in a room on my own and wrote half a dozen key pieces and took it to the band and said hey what do you think and and they liked it and so we proceeded from there and I got hold of uh, Bob Ezrin to act as co-producer and we started to make the record in, in and amongst moving off to France because we were skint and uh, a few other things. Yeah, sure. And it developed from there. So a lot of the songs got written during the making of, but equally the backbone of the piece already existed, i.e. the idea of falling oneself in and that individual bricks come from individual events. So it's pretty obvious how it fits together. Roger Waters is on the phone. The Wall, the live concert video, Featured on DVD, Blu-ray and digital download will be out December 3 if you'd like to see the concert performance of The Wall and the soundtrack available from November 20 as well. So when you decided, Roger, to take this wall concept 
live on stage. I imagine it was a, a massive undertaking for you. Having made the decision to resurrect the actual physical building of bricks on stage, having decided that, I went into a, a room with Sean Evans and, in a, and a video editor called Andy Jennison, and we worked for 10 months. And at that point, having figured out how to make this much more modern, much broader philosophically and politically version of the old piece, yeah. And it wasn't until we were doing the production rehearsals that I understood that we had achieved what we'd set out to achieve and that we had produced something that was extremely moving and that was no longer just the story of this bloke going mad in a pop group but was much more about the predicament that we, the, um, the human race, find ourselves in right now in the 21st century. So will we be seeing you playing live in Australia soon, Roger? I do have a plan to try and put my new work mixed with some of my old work together as a as an arena show. Okay. So you might even see me back in the Rod Laver Arena once more. I, I don't know, but I would love to do that. I think I've got one more Southern Hemisphere in me somewhere, and uh, so I hope to be doing that within a year or so. You've got a big fan base here, and thank you so much for being a really great chat, so I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you. It's the Rubber Room on Triple M across Australia. And this big brown land has many great inlets, many great beaches, like Echo Beach, for example. We have a segment called Inside the Song. Martha and the Muffins had a big hit with the song Echo Beach. You know the song. You've danced to it, drunk at the start of Christmas party. But what do the lyrics actually mean? Well, let's try and find out and go inside the song of Echo Beach with Martha and the Muffins. And i got Mary on the phone, who works for a tourist board. We want to ask you some questions about the song. Is that all right? Okay. Right, okay. It says, um, from nine to five, I have to spend my time at work. My job is very boring. I'm an office clerk. Now, do you think during these harsh economic times, this person would actually face redundancy? Oh, <laughs> you really caught me on the hop now. I've got no idea. Shall I put that down as possibly a yes? Yeah, possibly a right, yes. Okay. I know it's out of fashion and a trifle uncool. Would a trifle be a signature dish of Echo Beach? Uh, no. Right, so trifle uncool, no. It's a habit of mine to watch the sun go down. Now, being as the sun sets in the west, mm -hmm. would you have to climb a tree? Possibly. And are there, are there trees sizable enough to be able to see over the landscape? Uh, at Echo Beach to be able to see the sun go down, or would you only see sort of a partial sunset? We'd get a south or an eastern view. We'd very rarely get a western view. What time would the sun actually disappear then on the horizon? Depending on the time of the year. 5, 5.30? Should we say 5.17? That'll do. Eastern Standard Time? Yes. And Martha and the muffins, do you have any idea whether they actually ate them? Have no idea. All right, well, you've been a great help. Thanks very much, Mary. So we've got a segment called Rock Legends. I know you're very excited about that, especially when it comes to the legends that are Alice in Chains. Now, Mr. Inappropriate, you realise that it's not Alice in Wonderland, right? Well, if they put Alice in Chains in the first place, all that crazy shit with the rabbit wouldn't have happened. It's Rock Legends, Alice in Chains in the rubber room. I'm Sean. I'm Jerry. We're from Alice in Chains. 
This is great. I'm a huge fan of you guys. Congratulations on the success of the album, which debuted number two on the Billboard charts. And I just wonder whether or not those sort of things still excite you. Uh, you know, it's always good that people uh, like to listen to your band. It never sucks, you know. So we've been really fortunate to have a lot of a lot of really great fans that have uh, been with us for a long time, and we seem to be collecting a few more here and there. So it's it's nice to show up pretty much in any town and be able to play. And uh, you know, we're glad we did another record that we like. And, it seems like a lot of other people like it too and it's funny though because like you do these records you write it and you demo it a hundred times and then you go in the studio and you record it with every kind of guitar and amp possible and you get the right sounds and layer it up and then you mix it and by the time you get to that actual release date it's like giving birth you know like if your wife is pregnant at the ninth month she's like get this thing out of me you know so it's like uh, when it does come out it's a big relief for us in a way you were at the forefront of the MTV Unplugged era as well yeah we were probably one of the earlier bands to kind of uh, embrace that sort of thing. And it, and it works for some bands, and it doesn't work so much for others. You know? I remember doing the Unplugged record, though, and being, like, totally surprised and blown away by, like, a, a song like Sludge Factory, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, oh, that's never going to translate, like, acoustically. And then we played it that yeah. night, and I, to be honest, that's my favorite version. It's so much heavier than the heavy version, you yeah, know what sure. I mean? Yeah. And I always say the heaviest Alice in Chains song is Nutshell, you know, as far as lyrical content and emotional. Once again, we don't just like try to pigeonhole ourselves into, oh, we got to play through a bunch of amps to, to write a good song, you know. This is a childhood dream for me to be able to talk to you, so thank you so much. Oh, our pleasure. We have a segment called What's It Like? What's it like? What's it like? Sinclair sent me a lovely email. Dear Ugly Phil and the crew that work on your rubber room, I enjoy listening to your show every night whilst I'm sitting in my comfy chair, drinking a warm cup of milk and having a nice cookie. What's it like to be Robert Plant? Well, we thought we'd go to the next best thing. I've got Vince on Skype from the Zepp Boys, one of Australia's longest-running Led Zeppelin bands, and they got a show at the Opera House in Sydney in January. They'll have an orchestra with them as well. But here's our question, Vince. What's it like to be Robert Plant? I hear Robert Plant's probably around about six foot four. Yeah. I'm five foot eight in uh, platform shoes. You've got the power throat. He's got that too. What's that like? Oh, look, that's fun. How could I describe it to someone that doesn't really sing much? Uh, it's like that exhilaration you get from maybe uh, jumping out of a plane and you just go, whoa, yeah, it's all happening. Any singer will understand this. When you're singing really well, you kind of go like, this is not me, this is just the frequency of the universe. So you kind of like go, yeah, it's cool, man. Even living every day, you get out of bed in the morning. I mean, sure, you're you, but essentially you're not, you're him. <laughs> I mean, what's it like to get out of bed in the morning and go, I'm Robert Plant? You know, mate, when we started this whole Zeppelin thing, was, and it was about 30 years ago. Yeah, 86 so or something, I think, right? Yeah, 86. And um, now they call bands that do, you know, stuff like we do, cover bands, but... When I was um, a kid, you know, cover bands were just people that covered songs. And we decided when we did the uh, Zeppelin thing, we're not going to dress up or pretend anything. We're just going to play the music because that's what we love. Of course. One of my favourite singers was Bon Scott. So sometimes when I'm singing Led Zeppelin, I I think I'm channeling more Bon Scott than Robert (laughs) Plant. Yeah. Mind you, what a great smorgasbord of music you've got to play with. I mean, you know, hey, hey, mum. See, I mean. Phil. Thank you, up your daggy. Yeah, no, that was pretty bad, wasn't I? I apologise for that. Uh, you know? It was in tune, but it was like about 10,000 keys underneath. Yeah, I know, totally. Yeah, and that's, that's why I just tell the time and read the weather, man. You know? In terms of voices, he's got a fantastic... Is his vocal range hard to replicate? His vocal range when I was a kid was difficult to do with any form of consistency. Yeah. Like, you can sing it. 
And then about the only good place you're left to sing at is probably with the cheer squad because yeah. you've got no voice. And look, he himself doesn't sing in that range anymore. Yeah. But the quality of his voice is still amazing. I just saw him a couple of years ago. Could you give me a bit of hey, hey, mama? Because I'd love to hear you do that. All right. That is really good. Thanks so much, man. It's really good to talk to you. Okay, ciao. And by the way, if you'd like to see Vince and the Zepp boys in Sydney at the Opera House doing the Led Zeppelin stuff, and they got, I think, a 33-piece orchestra, make sure you check that out as well. Now, I don't want to get too personal because I'm, you know, what you do in your bedroom is your own business, but how'd you be interested in some bacon lube? I mean, it's, you know, maybe make things a little bit more enjoyable for you in the house. That's all I'm saying. Because Justin's on the phone. He's in New York. He's invented bacon lube. We launched this probably a year ago, you know, and it really just started to catch on recently. And uh, it was a bacon-flavored lube that we worked up. A couple lube companies, actually three of them, contacted us. And they were really, I don't know, they were kind of insulted almost. How do you offend so, a sex lube company? I think they're just kind of greedy. You, you see where I'm coming from. Like also to speak, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they they just start mailing samples, and the first one we get, it's like we open it up, and it is this thick, brown, viscous, pork-smelling gel. You've got me feeling a bit loose just with the description. They, um, <laughs> we actually made a proprietary blend of more both tingling and warming lubricant. Oh, now, come on now. Don't desecrate the joy of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Bacon lube has been shipped to you. It is in transit. Oh, come on. And it's, it's in transit. Mate, I'm going to tell Mrs. Sir. Ugly because I'm sick and tired of those licorice edible G-strings she keeps pulling out for fun. <laughs> well, okay, I'm not entirely sure that Australian Customs is going to let this through. If next time we speak I've got a little tingle in my voice, you'll know that I've been getting dirty. Just, just wait until you try it. Keep your phone on and remember the first rule about bacon, Kevin. Yay. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, Mrs. Ugly. If you're listening, get ready for the bacon boob. Sammy X, you'd be up for that, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm not even going to answer that question, Phil. But it's your birthday. So? Bacon. Well, you know. I love bacon. Feeling loose? Bacon. So get you going, baby. Baby. Give me bacon. I've just turned into a vegan. It's not Come on. You know you want to. <laughs> I'm even making myself feel uncomfortable. We may find this a bit disturbing. He held me. Go! Oh!